Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool? Act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, scope on the flag and light it up. Yes, sir, and welcome to the Man on Second Podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Forsaro with our co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. And as always, our mission here at the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. Today, we're going to not only raise our, bas- our baseball IQs, we're going to talk a little basketball as well, raise the IQs there uh, with our special guest, no stranger to the show, Jared Kozart, former big league pitcher. But before we bring Jared on in, Dave, um, got any announcements for us? Yeah, first, I love when we have Jared on. He's always a, a great guest and has insight into a lot of different facets of baseball. But as you mentioned, basketball, we may even throw a little football at him with college football heating up right now. But uh, to our audience, 50,000 and growing subscribers, we appreciate your support. Because of you guys, we now are the newest podcast streaming network on iHeartRadio. So thank you guys for that. After this show, and I'm talking all 74 countries now, make sure we five-star Joe. Give him some great quotes and comments underneath that because even though we're on iHeart now, we still are streamed on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. We want to make sure we keep battling the analytics of the podcast world just like we're doing in baseball now. So episode 289 today, Joe, we're getting close to that 300 mark. Now we'll be there before the probably the end of next week, but uh, let you turn it over to you and Jared. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exciting stuff, Dave, that's going on here at the channel. And and we're growing this and everyone keep following. And big reason why it's growing there, yes, like we have today with Jared Cozart. Refresher, uh, Jared pitched in the big leagues 2013 to 17, uh, pitched formerly with the Astros, Marlins, and Padres. Um, and just an overall, just a great guy and, and someone I grew close with during his time here in Miami and great to be hooking up. Jared, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure, myself. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna kind of cover some ground. We're gonna cover uh, some basketball, like Dave said, some college football, and and so forth. But uh, Jared spent yesterday. He went he went and watched the Astros uh, take on the Orioles. Uh, I've been following very closely here in South Florida, Miami, of course, the Marlins. I got a son who works for the Diamondbacks, following what they're doing, kind of keeping an eye on this whole wild card thing and expanded playoffs. And and Jared, are are you feeling it? Are you feeling this? Uh, the extra playoffs is kind of yes, it's achieving its purpose of getting more teams involved in the mix. But are you sensing any more excitement? What was the atmosphere yesterday in in Houston? I was um, I was a little bit disappointed um, atmosphere-wise as far as it goes yesterday. I mean, it was the last day game of the season. Um, solid crowd on hand, but I just – it happens a lot of times in, in a lot of these, uh, you know, transplant cities uh, where it's just the atmosphere. It just doesn't seem – I mean, I, I said it um, when the Astros played the Phillies in the World Series that it just it, – it doesn't seem like everybody is just on the edge of their seat as I remember it back in, say, like 2005. Maybe it's just me, though. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it is uh, we talk a lot about it on the channel, especially on other shows. We talk about the sports seems to be, and it was the fear of the expanded playoffs was the watering down effect. And and, and I'll just kind of read this out to you. Uh, just as the National League, and these are the wild card contenders, last 10 games, the Phillies hold the number one wild card spot, the Diamondbacks number two, and the Cubs are three and Miami's half game behind Cincinnati's there, but Phillies in their last 10 games are five and five. The Diamondbacks are six and four and they won five in a row. The Cubs are three and seven. The Marlins are five and five. The Reds are six and four, but they dropped a few in a row. The, the Giants are four and six. They're pretty much out of it there. I think they're 500 even four and a half back with what nine to go. Are the San Diego Padres? They're eight and two, and they've won seven in a row. But my point is, is you really want these teams that go in? And yes, the final nine games could can go a lot of different ways. But you want to see these teams get in, kind of on a roll, kind of playing good baseball. But I'm seeing from these teams, three or four of these teams are going to be in the playoffs, playing just kind of mediocre baseball. And that's kind of my fear if you look at it for the state of the game. How are you seeing even the the, the quality of play? Yeah, I mean, I I was telling my my buddy that I was at the game with yesterday. Look, to, to me, you know, obviously I see a lot of Astros baseball. Obviously, they've been really really good 
since probably about 2015 now. So we're going on a little eight to nine year run here. But the la- aside from the Orioles, I believe they played Kansas City, Oakland, and San Diego or something before that. And they dropped both series of Oakland and Kansas City. They just kind of been, you know, if, if they're not hitting well, they're not pitching well, if they're pitching well, it's just nothing seems to be going right. And it, it's like you're playing down to the competition almost. Um, and I know the fans here, they kind of have this newfound confidence um, because of the two World Series in the last five years and whatnot. But, you know, being a former player and everything, as you just touched on, you don't want to go into the most important time of the year with, you know, all of your bats being slow, your pitching's inconsistent, you don't know what you're going to get out of the bullpen. And I'm obviously speaking primarily for Houston since I live here and, and see them play a lot. But that's that's what's going on right now. Um Bats are dead, and they'll get a good start out of their starter. Then bats will come alive, and they'll give up eight runs. They, they just can't find that that consistency, both from the pitching and the hitting. Obviously, they have plenty of talent, um, plenty of money invested in these guys, and, and they have all the tools to to win the World Series. But you know, as far as again, just from the Astros' perspective, I don't think teams are intimidated by them as much this year because of the inconsistency. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point because the Astros have kind of been the standard. And I'm just, you know, just looking at the American League, the wild card, you got the Rays with 93 wins, Toronto 85, then Seattle and Texas are 84. Um, you know, those those are the teams there. And the Astros are only, what, a game or so up on Seattle and Texas. But at least those teams currently are over 500 and each of them have a chance. It, it used to be... You got to win about ninety to get into the playoffs. Is is eighty five going to be? You know, the National League eighty five may get you in, eighty six maybe, but uh, but you know, in NL, just the Phillies with eighty three wins are already over five hundred. Diamondbacks are eighty one wins. Then the Cubs, Marlins, and Reds at seventy nine. So, like I said, you know, you're going to have these teams like be, rosters being built for eighty five games, eighty five wins. I mean, it's like it's. I don't know. It, it's a, it's. I don't know if that's really where the sport needs to be. Obviously, years each year has its own personality. If the Mets had been what they thought they were, or the or the uh, the Padres or the Cardinals, maybe it would have looked differently internationally. But I just again, I say maybe it's just the watering down. Maybe it's this whole load management stuff. But I don't sense like, oh my God, this is September baseball. This this is just outstanding baseball, and I'm really geared up for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I don't I don't love it as well either because I'm with you. It, it was, it, you know, you had to at least get 90 back in, you know, in years ago. And then obviously you have the teams where it's, it's a great accomplishment. It's still a great accomplishment to win 100 games. It's really, really hard to do. But I agree with you completely. It's like these teams just you start the year. Obviously, it's early. You go you kind of go through the motions. Everyone's trying to get their footing and then. You know, by the All Star break, you know where you're at, and you know what you have to do. If you got a big deficit, you got to make up. You got to get busy. But now it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, this many teams get in, we still have a chance. You know, oh, you know, I think almost like the records are thrown out the window nowadays. It used to be like, oh, we're we're ten games under five hundred, we got no chance, or oh, we're we're right around five hundred, we don't have a chance. But now you got a lot of, you know, what were supposed to be good teams and, and solid teams that don't have great records that still do have a chance to get in, which is, which is mind blowing, but I guess that's where we're at. And then you got, like you said, you two great mentions, the Mets and the Padres who, you know, spent, I guess, almost a billion dollars to try to, to form these super teams and just completely underperformed. So I, I'm a kind of on the fence. I don't love it as a whole, but I see what they're trying to do. I think there's ways they can tweak it. Um, a little bit more because there's, there is going to be, you know, in the AL, there's going to be, I think Texas, Seattle and Houston, you know, are really, really good teams. And one of those, it's going to probably be Seattle or Texas isn't going to get in. So um, that's pretty tough. Yeah. You have over there. And like I said, in the NL and look, Hey, for South Florida, there's a lot of Marlin fans. You you obviously played down here, you know, as well that they've gone a long time between Oh three when they won it all with a 91 win team, but a team that played like, you know, that, that Oh three Marlin team from late May till the end of the season had the best record in baseball. That was just a progressively better team over that span. And they were completely deserving as the, the wild card and then they beat 
in the playoffs, two teams that had a hundred wins, you know, yeah. and, and they had to overcome obstacles. I just sense, and it's, it's a topic that a lot of our hosts talk about, you know, this is a watered down product that we got, we got this fan base. Many of them never lived really through a, a playoff. Yes. 2020 in the COVID year, the Marlins got in at 31 and 29. Uh, but so this is like their new, the new standard. And it, it, this is like, uh, the new high, and I'm just seeing these comments and these reactions and this gamer of a team. And then no, no disrespect to him because I thought they could be a lot worse than this. But <laughs> it's like I'm also, I, as a baseball fan and a baseball chronicler, reporter, I have a hard time celebrating any of that third wild card teams. Like this is this great historical thing. Dave, what are your thoughts? Well, my therapist said I have to be more positive, but I am going to throw a negative out on this. <laughs> The, you know, we've got this everybody gets a ring society now. And the way I see baseball, a lot of our sports set up, it's an assault on meritocracy, uh, without a doubt. But I'm going to try to get, get get a positive here. You know, Jared, you mentioned you kind of understand what Major League Baseball is trying to do for the fans. Share that side of it. What are they what are they trying to do? Because I'm on your side. I disagree with the way it's done. I, I wish it would go back to even before I was born where – one team makes in the American League, one team makes in the National League, and, and uh, 100 wins may not get you in. But what, what, do, you, what do you perceive them trying to do? I, well, because they, as Joe alluded to, Miami is a great example this year. Like, you talk about a city that, you know, the fan base is not always there. They haven't seen something in a long time. Um, and then now, I get, they're seven, I'm looking right now, they're 79 and 74, a half game back. Like, they have a chance. So... Let's get some fans in the seats. Let's like let's make a city like Miami get back on the map. Have the fans something to cheer about. You know, let's let's get them in the playoffs. Let's let's get a new team in there. Let's get the whole underdog story. Let's get one of these teams that maybe shouldn't get in. And like you said, another year. Let's give these guys a, a chance. Kind of like the whole thing. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy. And Miami's doing that. And like Joe said, I, I thought they would be a lot worse. And that's I think a lot of credit goes to Skip Schumacher. I was around him briefly in San Diego. Great human being, great guy. I think he's doing a great job over there. But at the same time, if like you said, if you look at years past, you know, five hundred, you're you're done a month ago. Like you don't have a chance. You're not even sniffing the wild card. But now, you know, maybe fans in Miami have some hope um, that they can get in. I I, I think that's what they're trying to do. I, I'm not a hundred percent. I could be off on that, but I think that's definitely uh, part of the reason. And how do these big franchises like the Yankees, the Mets, the Padres, who spent, as you said, billions of dollars, how do they turn around now and justify to their fans? Like when in an era of everybody gets in, well, we got left, we, we didn't get an invitation to the party. <laughs> That's going to be some tough explaining to do. I don't, uh, I don't know what route these teams want to go. I mean, San Diego, I, I don't remember. Y'all could probably help me out when they started all the, the big signings with Machado. I think it's been three years now, maybe because yeah, everyone, right. yeah. everyone was saying that's what they had to do to be able to compete with the Dodgers, and somebody else needed to compete with the Dodgers. And then and they did last year. They've, they've, they've been better, but, I mean, I don't know how you justify that. Now, these guys aren't performing. It looked to me like Soto wants out. Machado's getting older. You had the Tatis suspension. So it's like, you know, if me from an ownership, I'm, I'm tearing the – I'm burning it down. I'm getting all the money out of there and trying to start over. And I know if, as a fan base, nobody – you know, that those are tough times to go through. Houston did it here when I came over um, for hundred pence. I mean, it, it's not, it's not ideal, but you ought to also got to look at the fact that we're not talking about fan bases that have really ever been, you know, diehards. So, I, I mean, obviously they're going to lose a little bit of revenue and ticket sales, but you know, you're not talking about Houston and San Diego and Miami and these places being, you know, like these, amazing baseball fan bases when it comes to that, that, that sense. Yeah. Did you hear Baltimore's response? I like what Atlanta's done both playing wise and they've locked these young guys up for a long time. Um, I think it's a great, it's a great plan. Baltimore got asked that same question. I don't know if you've read that where I think it was in the post uh, owner got asked, what's your plans on keeping this young core together? Did you hear his response? I did not. His response now, and again, Baltimore hasn't seen this kind of success in a long time. And I, I, I laughed, Joe. I think we talked about it last week. They, Cal Ripken's stopped the streak this week. This was the, the anniversary of when he stopped the streak, breaking Garrick's record. Not a single mention of it 
in Baltimore. He should have been thrown out the first pitch the whole month um, <laughs> for a marketing ploy. But um, but his response was, it, I'm going to have to raise ticket prices to keep him. So here you got a franchise who hasn't had success, like you mentioned in Miami, get a shot at, uh, you know, get the fan base enthusiastic. And his response is, we're going to make you guys pay more, this billionaire <laughs> owner. So, yeah, and that's, uh, I love what Baltimore is doing. I mean, you really, that's, and Houston did it. You have to have two or three really good drafts, and they both did that. You got to have some good free agent signings. I don't, honestly, don't really know if Baltimore has even had to do that yet, but. They're just they're very solid one to nine. They're getting production out of these starters. Um, I guess Kyle Gibson would be kind of an under the radar good, you know, kind of a veteran guy that I think he won thirteen games or something. And yeah, takes the ball every fifth day to to complement these young guys. They got some crazy arms out of the bullpen, and I don't even think we've seen some of their best prospects. So that that's what you know. I'm sure they're going to start trying to throw out some of these. Acuna type deals here soon. I know they got Holiday coming next, and I mean it's it's a very exciting time to be a Baltimore fan. And I know that fan base gets very rowdy when they're good. I mean it, it always has, so um, that's great for them. But that's what you have to do. I'm actually kind of like I said, a lot of my stuff is Houston based since I'm here. I'm looking to see what the Astros are going to do with Tucker and some of these guys, and if they can keep this, I, I kind of see a downward turn coming soon for them. Um, we'll, we'll see what they decide to do. But uh, these other teams like San Diego, and that they need to be taking notes from these teams. I mean, if you look at who was in the Houston front office during those downtimes, Jeff Luna, obviously, he's in a different place for whatever reason, and I won't comment on that at this time. But um, David Stearns was with Milwaukee, and you see what Milwaukee's doing year in, year out. Mike Elias is over there in Baltimore. He's obviously doing great things, and the Mets just hired David Stearns to hopefully clean up their mess. And then you have the people that have stayed here in Houston. So those are, you know, three Milwaukee, Baltimore, and Houston who over the past four or five years have done some some pretty good things with locking up young guys, having good drafts, bringing in some good free agent signings. So I think there's a lot of teams out there that need to take notes, especially during this this time period where they are going to let everybody get in. No, it's, uh, that's interesting points and good points. But I, I think it kind of, guys, and it seems of, of in terms of roster construction, I, I can't help think back at, you know, some of these Marlin teams that I covered, if they had these expanded playoffs and this, and this is what helped drive down attendance in this market was, you know, David Sampson used to the team, former team president. And I, and I agreed with him. You didn't really want to be in that, 78 to 82 win, you know, territory. You didn't really want to be in the, in a mediocre you know, sphere, basically in that space. So you either broke it down to build, to win 90 plus to legitimately go to the playoffs. And I covered a number of teams that didn't have initial winning records teams with John Carl Stanton and Christian Yelich and Ozuna and real Muto. And, and the, you were teammates with the, the those guys. Yes. If there were these two extra wild cards and all that team had to do is win 84 games, you know, this this would have happened years ago. You know, the, those teams would have been playoff teams. Yes, they finished under 500 because at the deadline they traded away guys because they already were under 500 and and had no real chance to get to 90 wins. So so they subtracted. You know, I would have loved you know, that. That's how you build your roster right now is, oh, I think – I think it's all mathematical. You're sitting around going, oh, I see these four teams are going to tank. So all we have to do, the bar is set to win 84 games, to build an 84-win roster, and then hope for a few more and sneak in. Yeah, and it's it's just, I don't know. I'm the old school, like, I want to, you know, the, the team goal should be to win 100 games every year, you know, because uh, that's it's a very hard accomplishment, obviously. But that should be the motivation because, I mean, usually if you win 100, I, I don't know if I don't think a team's probably ever won 100 and not got in. You're, you're going to the playoffs. You're going to be a top seed and everybody's going to be coming after you. You're going to but you're going to be in that number one spot. But now it's like, oh, we have a pretty good like you said, we got a pretty good chance to get in. So let's just shoot for being mediocre and being average. I think a lot of that attributed to, like Dave said, the the kind of mindset and attitude we're having now in society with, you know, just do enough to be good. Let's not try to be great. And then some of these high payroll teams or, or these teams trying to be higher payroll teams like, well, I don't really know what to do. So let's just go spend a bunch of money and hope it works out. And then yep. 
clearly that's it's <laughs> in the Padres since and some of these other, in the Yankees since recently, it hasn't worked out. So it's like you got to find you got to find that happy medium, I guess, um, with balancing your free agent signings, your draft, and and signing these young guys. And like we just talked about, I think there's two or three teams that all these teams should be taking notes from right now. If this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Dave. Well, I, I, you mentioned a team, Milwaukee. I've got my eye on them for the playoffs. I love the way they, I love the way they construct their pitching. I um, do too. Jim Rooney, who's a co-host on our show. He was the longtime pitching coordinator and scouting coordinator for them. Often doesn't get mentioned in articles when they talk about their, uh, their uh, construction or their, their stuff. But uh, I want to kind of, take you to we're talking about an assault on meritocracy a little bit can i shift it to Dion sanders joe do you mind me no go ahead yeah oh, yes. all day. <laughs> everyone's got an opinion on Dion. so you know obviously what he's doing is personality driven uh universities at is it's, it's 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 not an impoverished university they have billions of dollars but i mean he has uh taken them from worst to first at least in that league only three games in they're a 21 point dog this weekend uh, to Oregon, I believe. But uh, what, what, what's your general thoughts on on Dion? What he's done at Colorado? I'm I'm on the fence. I like. There's days I'm like, you know, what? He's, he's he's being he's he's building positives with young kids. I see it that. Then there's other days where, you know, uh, and I see the documentary on that they did in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, he's, he he used uh, religion to say that called him to Colorado. Well, I, I think uh, you know a multi million dollar contract may have done that. <laughs> For him, but uh, but what's what's your thoughts on Dion? What's going on in Colorado? I'm with you about being on the fence slightly, but I'm, you'll be able to tell pretty quickly. I'm I'm more going one way. I I've always known, or I guess thought. I don't want to say known because I don't know him personally. But Dion loves Dion. I mean, I, I think that everybody would probably agree to that, dating back to when he played. Um, I would also say Dion is pretty smart. I think Dion has a great marketing manager. Um, I think Dion cares about his sons a lot. Um, so I think that's a combination of everything right there, uh, like encompasses who he is. He, he, I would like to believe deep down that he really does care about all those kids that he brought over, that he cares about the program, that he cares about the culture. But as I said, I don't know him personally. So what I see him doing in that regard is I think is great. Um, he's going to get a lot of kids to come to Colorado and in a couple of years, they're probably going to have a really good football team because they're going to have all the top recruits in the country. Um, I like what he says about his accountability, holding all the players accountable. I like the motivation. Um, but I guess, you know, in the end, I think it's all about the money. I think, you know, he's making a lot of money out of it. His sons are making a lot of money out of it. Um, his son's now popping up on NFL draft boards, which I know he can't be mad about. Driving around um, Rolls Royce, yeah. So, I mean, Tom Brady and podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm leaning more towards this is all a publicity stunt, and and you know that's great. But I'm also I also guess I should mention I don't know what he's doing from an athlete standpoint as far as just putting a gigantic target on their back, and they say that a lot. Like every team already wants to beat you just because they're a competitor. Like don't give them more motivation to want to beat you. And I know he's saying like Norvell's comments and was motivation to his kids and all that. But then, I mean, you go out there and barely beat an average Colorado state team. It kind of comes back on you. And it's like, are you guys really that good? Cause he's, he does have a little bit of arrogance about him and he makes comments like I'm, I would really, really, really want to beat Colorado. You know, all the times I have to, I hear him saying like, we're here. I tried to warn y'all like, and then it's like, yeah, what have you really done you beat a very bad or a very down tcu team in the first game of the season you know you struggle with nebraska early and you, you didn't impress none of them i guess the first win which was what they needed the most against tcu was the most impressive win because it was on the road TCU, oh, yeah. had, tcu had some hype even though they lost i mean all kinds of players <laughs> but that one got it going and that's all he needed he's ran with and he's done a great job with that so i was told when i got my first head coaching job, especially at division one, that in order <laughs> scheduling is one a and recruiting is one B and a TCU schedule is the best one. Cause you get a team that was in the national championship game. You said it, they're down, but people still say national runner up TCU. And that's who he beat on the road. Now, do you know he, they, at that sunglasses comment when the comment was made, 
you know, I wear, and that's where I flip black to his side. I'm like, oh God, why did that guy do that? Why did he? Because the one thing that I do like about Dion, it is about Dion, but he hasn't made it personal about anybody else. He hasn't attacked anybody else, but it's almost like he entices people to attack him without doing it. And they made the comment about sunglasses and hat, <laughs> uh, my parent. And what did that do? That put another two to $3 million in his pocket because he sold those sunglasses and they, they, they sold like $2 million in those sunglasses that next day. I mean, it would be between that day and the, and the game. Um, that's great. He, 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 like I said, he, he knows his marketing. He, he knows what he's doing in that regard. Yeah. For sure. And yeah, game, game day shows up. I, I dare say game day was not going to Colorado state, Colorado. But <laughs> um, no. did you guys there. watch the game day? Do you watch that, that morning, whatever they officially call yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. How he riled up the crowd. Like, you know, Dion is a preacher and does that as well, but the way he riled up the crowd at the end, and working with Mark Ingram, uh, the former player, my Bama guy, uh, it was it was just just you know amazing television and why this guy's a draw. I come from a diff- little different perspective with Dion because back in my old Tampa Tribune days, and that's how old I am. There's not even a Tampa Tribune anymore. Um, I covered Dion from time to time. You know, I saw him in the NFL. I interviewed him, uh, you know, on numerous occasions, and 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 saw him and knew how great of a player he was how great of a personality, obviously, to play baseball, football, play both sides of the ball. You know, Dion is not someone who comes with, you can't do this. So just that whole nature. But when I, I guess I watch a lot of his his um, press conferences, the beauty of YouTube, you can see anything you want. And there are a lot of shows on Dion. He's on a lot of shows. He, as much of the personality that Dion is, the persona that primetime is, he is a very smart, astute football coach. He will sound like a football coach, you know, reading off stats, saying the right things. You know, he can change it on, on a dime. And the thing about him also, his staff around him is very good. So these kids are getting really good instruction. And he kind of like he absorbs the pressure. Obviously, his boys are, too, because they speak it, too. But what I also do like about the sons here and both of them, they're both great interviews. They certainly embrace the media. And as someone at 40 years in the media, I kind of like that. So there's in terms of marketing and selling. Yes, he hasn't lost yet. He's already tripled the amount of wins they were going to get there. Certainly, if this team goes to a bowl game, it's a big win for him. But I think he has changed the landscape, certainly of college football. Uh, but in terms of what's attracting the NIL transfer portal player, and he connects with this athlete probably better than anybody in any sport, and he's still kind of an old-school guy. So he also can be what we talk about in in baseball and and being a positive role model and and how to grow kids. He has a work ethic. He's about, you know, winning, yet – he also appeals to the personal side, the social media side, because his I think it's his family member does his social media, which they get millions of views. You know, <laughs> everyone else might get 20,000, 100,000. He's getting millions. So I see him in a little different light because there's a lot of layers to Dion. He's very complex. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I, that in my opinion, he's a really good football coach at heart, I, I give him a pass in a lot of what he's doing. I want to see, guys, I want to have this conversation again in like a couple months because I, I think I also want, I want to see what happens when they lose because they will, I think they're going to get stomped the next two weeks. And I, I could be wrong. I hope, I kind of hope I'm wrong. I kind of hope I'm right. I'm kind of, I, kind of like Dave said, I'm on the fence, but I think what's going on now, what we're going to, what I want to see is because start off. Basically, everyone's like, oh, if Dion wins, you know, three games, it's a win. And then he comes out, you know, kind of hyping them up. And now they've won. So it's like if we're going to keep hyping these guys up, we need to set the expectation like they need to win. Right. When they all of a sudden I don't want to see the shift when we start losing. Oh, yeah. Well, we weren't expected to win. My thing is you kind of got to pick which route you're going to go. Right. You can't just be going back and forth based on week by week, you know. Now, you said you're here and you said it's good and y'all are ready to win and ready to say you're a really good team. So you better show us that from here on out. I don't want to see his I don't want to see this shift in like, oh, well, we already won three games. So we're better than we were supposed to be. They Sarah, had let opt- me, yeah. Let, let me ask you, because you're you're a player. How would you respond? Would you would a Deion Sanders be someone you would want to play for? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as a player, it's it's great. I mean, he's very motivational. He's been there at the highest level. He's one of the best players. Um, I think. I mean, they, we only see snippets of it, but I'm sure he knows how to relate to the players on a lot of different levels, both on the field and off the field. Um, I mean, just some of his speeches get me fired up just watching them now. Um, so I think that would have been great because I, I I fed off that energy. I was an energy kind of player, so I definitely think that. I, he would have been someone that I enjoyed playing for. Dave, you know I, like? I like Joe. You, you know, you mentioned he's good, really good with the media. He is the show there basically. And because of who he is and how he's, the media is attracted to him with all that extra attention that he's brought to the university, he shielded those players from all that stuff. They're not handling it. He is now his sons are, but I'm sure they're adept to doing that stuff. And, and uh, he's, he's on them as well. But from that aspect, He's he is uh, he's taken that part of it away, the noise. And even though there is noise, he's handling it all. He's got broad shoulders for that type of stuff. But what I yeah, I mean, that's people ask, you know, I think what people get mad about, they got mad at Calipari with with basketball. He's 10 years ahead of how to handle all the rule changes. People don't like the transfer stuff, I think, as much or, the, you know, that's what they get on about because they say, you know, 70 some odd transfers in there. They just don't like that. He knows how to use it better. I think that's yeah. where I jump back and forth on the fence. Um, I don't like that. I don't like the rule. I think the NCAA just threw that out there. The NIL stuff, I, I like that they get it, but they don't have regulations on it. Dion's jumped in and he's handled it better than everybody and he's capitalizing on it. I think that's what people don't like a lot as well. And the fact that he's, you know, he's boisterous. Yeah, because yeah, he's a braggart. They want to see him be put in his place. Obviously, that's a part of everyone wants to see, you know, someone that's that, that show me you know, in your face, you want to see that, that guy fail from time to time. But Dave, let me ask you this. Yep. As a coach, how much do you think Dion is changing how you're coaching college athletes now? Because this is this is cutting through a lot of sports. This would be your baseball programs, your college yeah. basketball programs. There is a different this is a different dude. Like, you know, this the old authoritative coach who's my way of the highway guy is going to have a hard time surviving in this, this environment. And Dion's kind not everyone's prime time. Not everyone has that persona, but yeah. how do you think the coaching aspect is going to change because of what Dion's doing? Well, I think he is my way or the highway. I think he proved that when he came on board that he's got standards. Um, he holds those guys accountable. I, I remember seeing the rant about cell phones when guys had cell phones in meetings and uh, he got rid of those. That was at Jackson state. And people, if you've ever been to Jackson State now, it's, it's a nice university. It's in a rural part of Mississippi. But it's not like he jumped out of being a, this phenomenal two-sport athlete. He started at the bottom in coaching. He started at the, the youth level, junior high, high school, prep school, and he went to Jackson State. That's not jumping right into you know, Hollywood where he's, you know, he's prime time. He, he paid his due, so people can't complain about that. I think he is no nonsense. The other issue is he's got, I think Jared, Jared, you said it, he's got these, he's got like multiple personalities. And Joe, you mentioned he's this old school guy at heart. You got to be disciplined to play both sports. Granted, he's got tons of talent too. Um, But you got to be disciplined to do that. You got to have confidence to do that. You've got to be able to be uh, comfortable in your own skin. But I think the messages that he's sending these kids, whether they're for the cameras or not, Recruits are hearing those messages, those 10 word sound bites, and then the next 10 words. And he's now, every time he wins a game, he doesn't have to go into feed, but every time he wins, he just validates what he's doing. And has he changed the landscape? Absolutely. I think you're going to see more coaches. Um, not that they've got to change who they are, but it's hard to be that um, no nonsense guy. And then also come out with the hat, the sunglasses, and the, the gold chains, and the, the, the hoodie, and the sweatsuit. And looks dresses like the kids. So, I mean, the dichotomy of his personalities are just that alone exhausts me, but God bless him for being able to do it. So yeah, I think he's, I don't think if anybody tries to duplicate him, they're going to fail, but I think they're going to have to take pieces of his success and start utilizing it. Otherwise I don't think they're going to compete. He brings with him his own social media arm. Oh, it's NIL money right in their pocket. It's just like the, the closest thing baseball has to it is, is the kid, uh, uh, was it Clark, the kid who got drafted? Um, oh gosh, why am I drawing? Yeah, Max, Max Clark. Clark. Max Clark. He baseball has that. This kid is a social media phenom. To eighteen and younger, that that eight to eighteen year old kid loves that guy. 
that guy's got like millions of followers and, and, you know, he's kind of got his own persona and, and his own, his own brand already. So it's just, you know, talk about that a little bit, Jared, these athletes have their own brand and they are also in the team sport. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you have both and have it work where you're not resented to the point of your arrogance or you're a me player? How do you see that playing out? Cause it's your yeah. step. I think it's, I think it's tough. I was never a big in, into it. I, I think it, I think it takes a special individual to, to be able to do both. Um, because especially now the money they're handing out to college athletes, to professional athletes, to everybody. But I think more so in college, you'll see if, if I'm a college kid and I'm getting millions of dollars, you know, as an NIL deal or, or to be a social media phenom or whatever at 18, are you really able or 17? Are you really, really able to be able to coach yourself and say team, $2 million team, $2 million. I know me personally at 17, I'm going to be like, I, all I care about is like, I'm, I'm making a ton of money to be on social media. I don't really care about anything else. And that's just because of the mentality, um, I think. And that's what I think a lot of these kids are going to have some problems um, at such a young age, being given this money, being given this fame. Um, and, and at the lower levels is the best time when you're supposed to be starting to learn how to be a good teammate, how to prepare yourself to go to the higher levels, to get to the big leagues. To, to And I think, Joe, you know, you've talked to a lot of former players. Like uh, the big thing you want to be remembered as when you're done playing is a good teammate. Um, yes. that, that, that's a very important – you don't want to be known in a bunch of locker rooms. It's like, oh, I hated playing with that guy. He, he wasn't very nice to me or he was antisocial. He was too worried about social media. He was always on his phone, you know, all these other things. So I think it's a slippery slope, you know, paying these guys all this money at a young age – and getting all these deals for social media and all that, I, I, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it down if I was in that same position at that age. But as far as being able to grow as a teammate and grow as a, as a player, I think it can be a hindrance for sure. Yeah, because how do you, how do you discipline that player? Like a lot of times, look, it, it, my, even the, the role of media and with the athletes and, the, and a baseball writer has a closer, just by the nature of the sport, you know, we got to be pretty close because, you know, we were living together in spring training and, you know, we'd see each other around town. And then every day at the ballpark, there's you see the players and you guys, saw the media more than you saw your own families, if you had families. And, and, and sometimes you need someone to talk to because you're on your own island and, and so forth. And I'm just thinking, you know, a lot of times as a media person, you'd either have a team or teammates or whatever, almost wanting you to help put a teammate in place by, hey, write this about the guy to humble him. Now, if a media member criticizes a Max Clark, you got millions of people attacking the media guy because you can't even say anything somewhat even objective about him. If you're not just saying how great he is, you know, it, it just creates this, you know, very interesting part with the athlete. And there are, there are a lot of a lot of players I covered back in the day who never who didn't want me to say they did great when they didn't do great. You know? The job was if I didn't perform, you write that, you know, just, you know, make it personal, you keep it professional. But it's like there's, it, it changes how society looks at you, how you could even be covered. And Absolutely. and as an athlete, I don't think you, you weren't that type that you need everyone to kind of kiss your butt and say how great oh, it was if you're struggling, you know, you're trying no, to find the answers. Heck, heck no. And that's a lost art. I think that a lot of these younger players, and I, and I see it when I help, you know, coach, it, it's these kids expect perfection and they get told how great they are regardless of the circumstances. And that makes it that much worse when they, they do fail. Uh, they're, they're not teaching kids how to fail. And that's the number one thing that needs to be learned at a young age, especially in the sport of baseball. Um, you are going to fail a lot. And how are you going to respond to failing? And how are you going to get better better from it. And then you can't sit there and be like, Oh, don't worry. It won't happen again because guess what? It's going to happen again and again and again. And the, the whole, like you got to be strong to survive and you got to get better and, and keep trying to advance. I think is slowly just like pushing its way out and it's like becoming, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. 
Um, so the, failure is not being taught. Well, how to how to deal with failure, I don't think is being taught. And then these young kids get a, a, on a big stage and, and they don't know how to do it. And I, pl- I played with a lot of guys in the minor leagues. That that's I think that's the number one reason why they weren't able to advance and reach their potential. Some of these high draft pick guys with various organizations is, you know, they came from a Connecticut or whatever, and they'd always and they, they hit 700 and hit 20 home runs and all this other stuff. And, you know, you come down to GCL and see 95 for the first time and all of a sudden can't hit and you, and you don't know how to you don't know how to deal with it. And then it just becomes a downward spiral from there and they don't know how to dig out. And then, you know that they're out of the game in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, back when my first year on the Marlins was 2002 um, and Braden Looper was the closer on that team. And I had just, I had done this, the NFL for like seven years and there's a, it's a football covering the NFL, the major league baseball It's a different mindset because each week it's more adrenaline driven in football, more emotional baseball has to be more level. It's every day. You can't get too high or low win or lose. And it might have been literally game one, Looper blows the save, and you go in and you talk to him post game, and it was the first time doing like a loot. You're wondering how he's going to react because you're going off to a. I mean, he was like great, you know, real pro. He stand up, said it. Next day, he gets the save. I go over there, and it's the same demeanor. He's talking. We're talking about him getting the save. Third day of the season, I just go up to him, and I, because I was new to covering baseball, and I say, hey, Brayden, I just want to kind of let you know I'd come over from football where a guy had a terrible game or whatever. He, he was a little ornery to deal with. You know, you have a job to do. You ask your questions, but you kind of approach, you know, with care. And he goes, no, I, I have to stand up here and talk to you and be the same person to you. And, and it shows my teammates that I'm going to be the same person, win or lose. Then, because if I'm way up when I win and I'm way down when I lose, I'm sending a message to my teammates also that, oh, this guy's only good to be around when they, when all's going well. <laughs> you know, there and again, this is like you say, you had to be taught failure and and taught perspective and so forth. And that aspect of the media, I, I I'm not sensing, you know, this wave, new wave of journalists, which tend to only report what someone says. There's never any analysis. Oh, um, you know, well, that's just, why. It, so it's kind of changed the whole dynamic. Well, and that's why I think I got along so well with you is because I remember some of our first interviews. I mean, look, it's obvious, like, when I when a player does bad, right? And I remember you, it, it, sometimes it's just the wording of the questions in the media, too. You would say, hey, Jared, you struggled today. Talk to me about, you know, what happened here, what was going on. Not, you know, some of the new questions I see is like, a guy gives up six runs in a third of an inning. And I heard the other day, one of these reporters said, well, how'd you feel out there? Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite. Yeah, like, I mean, what Shit. do you want? Yeah, what do you want me to? What are you expecting me to say right now? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I felt great. I gave up six runs. Anything else? Like, I mean, that's that's what I'm seeing, Joe. And I completely understand. It's probably frustrating to see that from your perspective. Um, some of these new writers and these just new reporters, just the the questions and the comments and just. It's almost like they don't there's it's like a script. They don't have any feel. They don't even watch the games. They don't they don't care. They're just doing, you know, the bare minimum, which I I want to say I can I understand, but I don't because it it takes a lot more if you want to be really good and be liked. And I think a lot of people just don't care anymore. That that's kind of my opinion. You you know better than me in in that field, but I'm seeing just just simple stuff like that interviews after the game and some of these questions I'm like gosh I feel bad for the for the player because I know what I want to say right now <laughs> but then it gives look because again I want to see journalism thrive and be good but the, what does the sound bite become then it's the 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 player snapping at the media and that becomes the viral sound bike and then everyone will be like oh dude you don't want to get you know you don't want to get it don't give up six runs you know it's it kind of <laughs> creates that Instead of any, like you say, there's not feel, there's not, I think they just expect uh, like a mea culpa and just go over there and just, hey, look, uh, before you guys ask a question, I was miserable today. I was horrible. I couldn't have been any worse. And, you know, beat me up all you want. It's like, no, you're, you got to know what you're what you're getting at. And, and part of that is everything's in a more of a now a group setting instead of a conversational setting with the athlete. Where you can kind of get a feel for the athlete's personality, as you know, what, what might be something that's going on. Maybe he's working through something. Maybe, and and you, there's hardly ever the follow up. 
because yeah. it's always at the at the podium for five minutes and you don't have a follow-up. So a guy gives you a question. I can't tell you the amount of times I hear post-game interviews and I'm like, that's begging for like four follow-ups and there's no follow-up because somebody's like, what's your favorite color is the next question because they're working on the complete non-sport related thing because they think no one cares about the sports because that gets more clicks. So it's, 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 this is a, a weird way of packaging and, and explaining the game. Yeah. Joe, I got a question for you, journalism yeah. question. So when, and, and Jared kind of alluded to this when he was sharing his perspective as an interviewee, when you were interviewing somebody, the value of your article uh, or your, your soundbite was the question leading to a very, uh, I, I guess, a, a true answer uh, or as true as you could get and not a soundbite back. Where now, would you, would you agree or disagree that now it's less about excellence and more about influence? And by influence, I mean clicks. Oh, that's uh, just 100%. Yeah. I mean, there was, uh, it's all about that. Because everyone, a lot of these companies, they, they want, they all want the million dollars. They want the viral clip. They want this. And then they'll try to explain that, well, you know, the meat and potatoes, that's well and good, but that doesn't get the numbers. So they're chasing the viral moment. The fan catches the foul ball holding his baby in one arm, a beer in his other, and the, and the glove on his head, and he caught it on his head. And I got I got yelled at for that one time. There was a, a weird foul ball. Like, like one guy caught two straight foul balls at a Marlin game. And I got, like, my boss is like, how come you didn't have something on that? I'm like, because I'm not tracking the foul ball. I was, like, in the middle of writing my four stories today. And, but that was the, but that's the viral moment. So, oh, then put me in the stands and I'll just, you know, look for all the goofy stuff. And, and that's kind of where it went. Because you, I think a lot of these companies have lost faith in what they're, they don't believe in their product. <laughs> so if you don't believe in the product, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the, the quirky stuff. I, and Jared will tell you, I got to know him at a completely different level because I got to know him as a person. And once I knew how, what made him click, and I would do that to as many players as I could, because that made it easier for me to write their stories, good and bad. And 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 I appreciate what he said, but yes, there's there's a way. I, my goal was now, granted, this is more of the printed word, and it and I wasn't in broadcasting or or you know radio or or TV, so all I wanted was a good enough quote to support my story. So I could ask a question that pisses the guy off and get one response, or I could get a usable quote, which is really what I think the journalists should want is how are you going to have the good quote that supports your story? And I I hope it's not going to be completely lost, but it's, it sure seems to be, but that's why you have the Max Clarks of the world with their own production crews and the Deion Sanders, where they're telling their own stories. They're they're just presenting it and, and molding their and building their own image, which has completely changed the relationship between. I don't even understand. You, you know, I hope it never comes to this, but I don't even see the value of beat writers if it's going to come to come to that. I think another point, Joe, about getting to connect with players on a personal level that you that you kind of touched on is when you get to know someone personally and you've seen these guys pitch a number of games when. It, Bad games will come, right? Bad games will happen. But you've been watching this guy so much, you can kind of see what makes him click, what makes him doesn't click. It allows you to maybe have that game, like you said, well, maybe there's something going on somewhere else. You know, maybe there's something going on, you know, off the field or whatever. And that can lead to certain questions. And then obviously you talk about things on the side. But when you get to know a player at a personal level, like you can kind of see by performance, you know, Maybe he was sick. Maybe that. Maybe there's something going on at home. There's just a, knowing everything about the player is such a lost art because it's more than just you know. Oh, he went out there and, and was bad today. I'm just going to assume that you know he just didn't have it or whatnot. There's just so many different levels as to when players are struggling, when they're doing well, and all the different things. And I think knowing someone, knowing an individual on a personal level, can kind of help you understand things at, at different phases of that person's life, good and bad. You know. I remember that came to me early on when I started covering the NFL and I was, was like my first year and I was covering the Buccaneers for the Tampa Tribune. And 
we had two people covering it and I was like the backup and I did backup slash NFL. So I'd write like the, the Sunday league column and so forth. And I had one of the players about halfway through said, look, dude, I mean, we want you to come up and talk us if I, then we could trust you more and I can know who you are and you can know us more. And the more you know about us, the easier it is to, so a lot, it just kind of dispelled because I think a lot of the public thinks that there's this, the media and the players just are butting heads all the time. And it does happen from time to time, but don't get us wrong. But, uh, but they don't realize that that aspect, cause they knew that those are the people that, if you're fortunate to have one of those positions, we're responsible for conveying the story of the subject matter. So is there was a lot, a lot of responsibility came with that credential. I always treat it that way. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's interesting to our listeners. Uh, I don't often talk about this, but probably we should do it more. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, we get, we have a lot of people in our audience. I mean, 50,000 subscribers, it's, it's kids all the way to parents. And, these are all sports enthusiasts, baseball enthusiasts specifically, but they all want to, they, we're just giving them the landscape and they all want to be involved in sports in some capacity. And the way you've entered sports is, is a very uh, interesting, unique way. And of course the landscape's changing all the way around. We talked about Deion Sanders with coaching, media's changing, uh, the player's role is changing. Is it more team? Is it more individual contractor? So yeah, I think these are all questions that we get that, you know, the people want to be involved with sports, you know, and as much as I'm academically oriented, I have multiple, uh, I don't want to say useless, but uh, degrees in my back pocket, a couple of masters an Ivy league one in there somewhere. And um, you know, th- th- there's, there's a lot of different avenues to enter sports and people don't rally around math classes. They rally around sports no matter what. So yeah, the long story, long answer to your very simple question. I would have been a great soundbite for you, by the way. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think it's very important to our audience. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's the thing. That's why you know Jared and I, even though we went years without without talking because of you know the gap and such, but we still have so much to talk about because when he was in Miami, we got to know each other at a really good level, and and I got his perspectives, he got where I was coming from, and and that's what it, I think everybody, Dave, on this channel and Jared will confirm it the thing that they miss when they're outside the sport, the most is relationships, you know, and that relationship could be media. It could be teammates. It could be whatever, but they all connect to those times and all the grind that the players and and everyone went through. And, and that's kind of the fun of it. Jared. Yes. A hundred. I mean, a hundred percent. I don't, (laughs) not many people miss the 5am workouts, working out twice a day, all the training and stuff. There are some, some weird people out there that love that stuff, but (laughs) the, that, that was the hard part. The easy part was, uh, being with a good group of guys. I mean, heck, like you, you, you alluded to earlier, you spend more time with these guys, media coaches, teammates, than you do with your family. When baseball season goes on, it's, it's, it's just a fact. It's, it's not a, it's not always, you know, ideal on the family front, but, um, yeah, it's how it is. And I, and I loved every minute of it. And I do miss that dearly, you know, waking up, going to the yard every day, knowing I'm going to spend 10 to 12 hours at the yard with all my teammates going out there trying to go to battle every day. And and then people like yourself being able to have, you know, normal conversations too that may, maybe you don't want to have with teammate or mom or dad or, or wife or whoever it may be. And just being able to grow that relationship there and, and you know, for, for future dates like today, I, I definitely miss that. And um, you know, if I go back and everyone always says, do it all over again, that would be something that I would definitely, you know, soak in more is just being able to be in a big league locker room with a bunch of, with a bunch of big leaguers and, and a bunch of professionals and, and being able to share experience and time. I think a lot of guys, uh, um, get caught going through the motions and, um, not really, um, they don't really allow themselves to enjoy and really take in that, that experience in itself. Yeah, no, this is this is interesting. I hope our, our listeners uh, find it too. It kind of went a little bit different direction. But Dave, we want to talk a little bit about basketball. So, yeah, up, uh, Jared. Well, Jared, you taught you shared with us last time. Your former professional pitcher joined the pro am basketball league. Give us an update on your your basketball career and remind <laughs> the audience of the vitals, the height, the weight. You know what your games like. I want I want to hear a little bit of a scouting report on your basketball game to remind okay. them. And well, when, your next, when your next event is. 
We went up to the national tournament for Ultimate Hoops Lifetime in New York City. Um, we placed third. We had one of our top players. Our, our point guard's name is Marcus Hall. He played in the TBT. He's actually the all-time leading scorer in the TBT. That happened this year. They won. His team, Heartfire, won the TBT tournament. Um, he played in University of Colorado. But anyways, we, we placed third in that without him. So it was actually a really good uh, really good time for us. I am myself. I am 6'3", 210 pounds currently. I'm um, more considered an athlete. I would, in, in today's NBA, I would be considered a 3 and D um, with the ability to rebound a little bit more than, than those guys. But I, uh, I, can, I, I knock them down pretty efficiently when I'm open from three and, and I can, I can defend a one to three on the, on the defensive end. So that, that's kind of my, my scouting report. I don't have a, I have a pretty good basketball IQ. I think a lot of people would say that too. I don't have much of a, much of a handle. I can do enough to get by, but ball handling is probably my biggest, uh, biggest weakness. If we're, we're go ahead and let all my uh, opponents out there know. That's right. That's why I got Marcus. He's yeah, just to draw. Absolutely. Get in that gap and find find you open Absolutely. with um so with your what's your team name when when you guys play again when's the next set of games start so the next national tournament isn't until uh May of next so there's two every year one's in May and one's in October or, uh, August we it's Vegas and New York City every year so they're they're trying to maybe add another one in there change up the format a little bit but uh, I play in a league down here through lifetime at ultimate hoops uh that starts on october 11th we just finished up our last season we actually lost in the championship we don't really want to talk about that though um we lost on a buzzer beater from half court so um but yeah i I really enjoy just getting out there kind of like we just discussed the camaraderie and the team thing um different sport different avenue but same sort of uh same sort of bonding um you know when i play here in houston it's it we have like a draft league. So I'm with a different group of guys each, each season. Um, and then when I play on the competitive travel team, it's the same group and all of them have played, you know, college level overseas G league. So getting to hear their experiences, what, what they went through and how it compares to, to baseball and things like that is, is, is always fun. And uh, just getting to share that time, kind of use it as a little bit of vacation where we still get to compete as well. So I, I really love that. And I'm going to, Definitely gonna keep playing basketball till the wheels fall off. I, I took a couple of weeks off because this body's not getting any younger. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you are you training for that? Like you would do for not not quite the level you would do. I'm getting a- back. Uh, I'm slow. I, I actually I've taken two or three weeks off. Just get I get into the gym and get some shots up every once in a while. But I'm about to start. I, I learned at these national tournaments that. I need to either lower my expectations or get my ass back in the gym and try to get in like really good shape because it's a complete different level of just than just the local lifetime uh, lifetime leagues. I mean, you're dealing with ex NBA overseas guys all at all five positions. So um, the biggest thing I've noticed is they don't get tired. <laughs> I get tired. It's a diff- different cardio. It's more uh, stop and go. But I'll yeah. tell you what, I, I got a great way to, to maybe increase your marketing. Me being a former college basketball coach, we get you down here in Myrtle Beach for a couple of weeks. We turn our cameras on you and we do a two week uh, behind the scenes training session with you down here, get you ready. And uh, we'll, we'll see if we can we can uh, move you from a three and D to <laughs> Uh, give you a little mid-range game. Hey, I'm I'm all for that. I, I, anything to get in a little bit better shape, I'm here for it. <laughs> I have access to 32 courts. We got a, we have a nice practice facility we use for our our one-on-one teams down here that we we promote with scholarships, and we'll get you in the gym and we'll we'll see if we can bump that bump the we'll bump the social media up. Then you'll be worth more money in the league, maybe. <laughs> hey, let's go. I'm good for that. Let's give you a little. Anything we'll make, for some positive branding, right? <laughs> absolutely. We'll make you like we're, we're old school network here, so we'll make you old school. We'll give you that lost mid-range game that's not in the NBA anymore. <laughs> I could use it. That's what everybody keeps telling me to work on. They're like, all you got to do is take two steps in. So. That's it. It's a little little, little pivot work. We'll get you on that. And Joe, I'll turn it back to you. I will not derail this podcast. No, this, <laughs> this podcast, that's the beauty of our podcast here, man. It's like you never really know where this is going to go. We're steering it to, to the, the – the too many teams in the playoffs to uh, 
to uh, talk a little about the media relationships with players, to a little basketball, a lot of Deion Sanders. So we, right, we covered a, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, Jared, any, anything? Jared's, Go ahead. Jared's not, Jared, Jared's not a one-dimensional guest. He's got multifaceted. Yeah, so exactly. We got to yeah. be. Um, I, I want to hear. I want to hear World Series predictions from you guys. Just it doesn't have to be a winner. Just who you guys who who do you think is going to be there at the end? Well, I mean, it's safe to say the Braves. Although right now, if you know, it, that's the one thing when you take your foot off the pedal late in the year, you can recapture that. But the Braves on paper, um, see, you know, I thought if you asked me a month ago, I thought Texas was going to win it, but now I don't. Um, so, gosh, in American League, oh boy. Dave, who do you got? Let me think of the American League real fast. I, I think I'm, I'm. I think Milwaukee's going to win it this year. I like really that. think they're they're the hot team at the right time. I like their pitching. Um, you know, they, they've been pretty consistent over over a period of times in terms of that staff. And if you ask me to run through their batting order lineup, I couldn't do it for you on the fly. But uh, I like what they're doing with Yelich. I, I never thought I'd like him in the leadoff spot, but. Uh, He's starting to reemerge. He's not the Yelich of old, but putting the ball in play, he's kind of reinventing himself a little bit. But yeah, I, I like Milwaukee's staff. I do. Yeah, I like it. So, so we'll go. I'll go Braves and the Rays. I'll say the Braves and the Rays will go to the play the World Series. Ah, a little Rays action. Yeah. I uh, I think whoever well, they got to beat Arizona first. But I think whoever wins the Philly and Atlanta series is going to win the World Series. Um, I like the Dodgers. I just don't know if they can pitch enough. I like Milwaukee. I think I think Milwaukee. I'm with uh, Dave. I'm with you. I think the easiest first round victory, knock on wood. I think Milwaukee will handle the Cubs pretty pretty easily. I don't I don't see them getting much uh, much pushback from them. I, I am surprised at what the Cubs have done this year. If if, if of course if everything stays how it is right now. I know it, things could still happen. There's a couple games left. I think Philly beats Arizona. And then the Philly Braves, man, they play each other. So I, it's unfortunate that's an NLDS and not an NLCS. But um, I think that's a coin flip. But obviously, Edge goes to the Braves right now. The Dodgers, Brewers, I think it's going to come down to pitching. And Milwaukee, definitely right now with all the Dodgers injuries and stuff, has the has the pitching. So, yeah, you could be looking at Atlanta, Milwaukee, or Philly, Milwaukee, uh NLCS, and then I think the AL is just – you could flip a coin, man. I am so – the Astros have been too inconsistent. Baltimore has crazy good record, but I don't know if I'm – they don't have the experience, and I don't know if I'm sold on the pitching staff just yet. I think uh, if the Blue Jays the Blue Jays get in, I'm going with the Blue Jays because I, I, watched, I watched them last night. I, I really like what they're doing offensively. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think the Blue Jays beat the Rays. Sorry, Joe. And I think it just depends on what you – I'm going to go with Blue Jays and Astros in the ALCS. And shit, it's just whoever's hotter, honestly. I would like to see I would like to see Texas beat Minnesota or Seattle, whoever gets in. And that'll be an old AL West showdown in the ALDS. The Astros own the AL West, though, so it might be better if Minnesota wins if people want the Astros to lose. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say let's go Atlanta-Houston. Atlanta wins a rematch. Astros, Astros can't get it done against Atlanta. Yeah. Well, we'll we will see. We'll have Jared back in a in a couple of weeks. We'll see. We'll see how this uh, kind yeah, of yeah, man. We gotta we'll have to reassess the Dion situation because I think they're gonna they're gonna have a tough couple of weeks, and we'll we'll see what's going on with these playoffs. Yeah. Dave, final final announcements. Yeah, just just to re-up that thank you to our audience, 50,000-plus subscribers now, 74 countries, uh, grassroots MLB front offices. We appreciate you guys getting us on iHeartRadio's podcast stream now. It's a big coup for our network, and it's all all because you guys. But, again, we respond to our audience, very sophisticated audience. They'll appreciate a show like this. You let us know. You get on there and make sure you give Joe his five stars, write some comments, send us questions. These shows are for you guys. So once again, thanks again to our audience for that. And Joe, thank you and for a great show again. And Jared, thank you for being an awesome guest. Um, this is what your third time on? Uh, second. Second so on you, with me. He's been on. I give you, you brought you on one time with Kevin Kern. Yeah, 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 yeah. So third, yeah, third time. Yeah.
Um, again, thanks to Dave D'Agostino. Thanks to my buddy, Jared Cozart. Jared, as you know, open invite, buddy. Uh, all the best in everything you do and 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 so forth. Uh, uh, thank you to our audience, our listeners. And uh, again, we we kind of mix it up. We we change it around. We you never know what we'll be talking about, but but we stay true to our mission of raising the IQs of our audience. And uh, I believe we did so again today. And with that, I'm Joe for Sarah Man on Second Hand. We are out of here. Jacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of the liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road